The Beetle by Richard Marsh. Chapter 43. The Murder at Mrs. Anderson's. It is something of a drive from Waterloo to Limehouse. It seems longer when all your nerves are tingling with anxiety to reach your journey's end, and the cab I had hit upon proved to be not the fastest I might have chosen. For some time after our start we were silent. Each was occupied with his own thoughts. Then Lessingham, who was sitting at my side, said to me, "'Mr. Champnell, you have that report?' "'I have. Will you let me see it once more?' I gave it to him. He read it once, twice, and I fancy yet again. I purposely avoided looking at him as he did so. Yet all the while I was conscious of his pallid cheeks, the twitched muscles of his mouth, the feverish glitter of his eyes. This leader of men, whose predominant characteristic in the House of Commons was immobility, was rapidly approximating the condition of a hysterical woman. The mental strain which he had been recently undergoing was proving too much for his physical strength. This disappearance of the woman he loved bade fair to be the final straw. I felt convinced that unless something was done quickly to relieve the strain upon his mind, he was nearer to a state of complete mental and moral collapse than he himself imagined. Had he been under my orders, I should have commanded him to at once return home, and not to think. But, conscious that, as things were, such a direction would be simply futile, I decided to do something else instead. Feeling that suspense was for him the worst possible form of suffering, I resolved to explain, so far as I was able, precisely what it was I feared and how I proposed to prevent it. Presently there came the question for which I had been waiting. In a harsh, broken voice, which no one who had heard him speak on a public platform or in the House of Commons, would have recognized as his. Mr. Champnell, who do you think this person is, of whom the report from Vauxhall Station speaks as being all in rags and tatters? He knew perfectly well, but I understood the mental attitude which induced him to prefer that the information should seem to come from me. I hope that it will prove to be Miss Linden. Hope? He gave a sort of gasp. Yes, hope, because if it is, I think it possible nay probable that within a few hours you will have her again enfolded in your arms pray god that it may be so pray god pray the good god i did not dare to look round for from the tremor which was in his tone i was persuaded that in the speaker's eyes were tears atherton continued silent he was leaning half out of the cab staring straight ahead as if he saw in front of a young girl's face from which he could not remove his glance and which beckoned him on after a while Lessingham spoke again, as if half to himself and half to me. This mention of the shrieks on the railway, and of the wailing noise in the cab. What must this wretch have done to her? How my darling must have suffered! That was a theme on which I myself scarcely ventured to allow my thoughts to rest. The notion of a gently nurtured girl being at the mercy of that fiend incarnate, possessed, as I believe that so-called Arab to be possessed, of all the paraphernalia of horror and of dread, was one which caused me tangible shrinkings of the body. Whence had come those shrieks and yells, of which the writer of the report spoke, which had caused the Arab's fellow-passengers to think that murder was being done? What unimaginable agony had caused them? What speechless torture, and the wailing noise, which had induced the prosaic injurate London cabman to get twice off his box to see what was the matter? What anguish had been provocative of that? The helpless girl who had already endured so much, 
endured perhaps that to which death would have been preferred shut up in that rattling jolting box on wheels alone with that diabolical asiatic with the enormous bundle which was but the lurking place of nameless terrors what might she not while being borne through the heart of civilized london have been made to suffer what had she not been made to suffer to have kept up that continued wailing noise it was not a theme on which it was wise to permit one's thoughts to linger and particularly was it clear that it was one from which lessingham's thoughts should have been kept as far as possible away come mr lessingham neither you nor i will do himself any good by permitting his reflections to flow in a morbid channel let us talk of something else by the way weren't you due to speak in the house to-night due yes i was due but what does it matter but you have acquainted no one with the cause of your non-attendance acquaint whom should i acquaint my good sir listen to me mr lessingham let me entreat you very earnestly to follow my advice call another cab or take this and go at once to the house it is not too late play the man deliver the speech you have undertaken to deliver perform your political duties by coming with me you will be a hindrance rather than a help and you may do your reputation an injury from which it never may recover do as i counsel you and i will undertake to do my very utmost to let you have good news by the time your speech is finished he turned on me with a bitterness for which i was unprepared if i were to go down to the house and try to speak in the state in which i am now they would laugh at me i should be ruined do you not run an equally great risk of being ruined by staying away he gripped me by the arm mr champnell do you know that i am on the verge of madness do you know that as i am sitting here by your side i am living in a dual world i am going on and on to catch that that fiend and i am back again in that egyptian den upon that couch of rugs with the woman of the songs beside me and marjorie is being torn and tortured and burnt before my eyes god help me her shrieks are ringing in my ears he did not speak loudly but his voice was none the less impressive on that account i endeavoured my hardest to be stern i confess that you disappoint me mr lessingham i have always understood that you were a man of unusual strength you appear instead to be a man of extraordinary weakness with an imagination so ill-governed that its ebullitions remind me of nothing so much as feminine hysterics your wild language is not wanted by circumstances i repeat that i think it quite possible that by to-morrow morning she will be returned to you yes but how as the marjorie i have known as i saw her last or how that was the question which i had already asked myself in what condition would she be when we had succeeded in snatching her from her captor's grip it was a question to which i had refused to supply an answer to him i lied by implication let us hope that with the exception of being a trifle scared she will be as sound and hale and hearty as ever in her life do you yourself believe that she'll be like that untouched unchanged unstained then i lied right out it seemed to me necessary to calm his growing excitement i do you don't mr lessingham do you think that i can't see your face and read it in the same thoughts which trouble me as a man of honour do you care to deny that when marjorie linden is restored to me if she ever is you fear she will be but the mere soiled husk of the marjorie whom i knew and loved even supposing that there may be a modicum of truth in what you say which i am far from being disposed to admit 
what good purpose do you propose to serve by talking in such a strain none no good purpose unless it be the desire of looking the truth in the face for mr chapnell you must not seek to play with me the hypocrite nor try to hide things from me as if i were a child if my life is ruined it is ruined let me know it and look the knowledge in the face that to me is to play the man i was silent the wild tale he told me of that carrying inferno oddly enough yet why oddly for the world is it all coincidence had thrown a flood of light on certain events which had happened some three years previously and which ever since had remained shrouded in mystery the conduct of the business afterwards came into my hands and briefly what had occurred was this three persons two sisters and their brother who was younger than themselves members of a decent english family were going on a trip round the world they were young adventurous and not to put too fine a point on it foolhardy the evening after their arrival in cairo by way of what is called a lark in spite of the protestations of people who were better informed than themselves they insisted on going alone for a ramble through the native quarter they went but they never returned or rather the two girls never returned after an interval the young man was found again what was left of him a fuss was made when there were no signs of their reappearance but as there were no relations nor even friends of theirs but only casual acquaintances on board the ship by which they had travelled perhaps not so great a fuss as might have been was made anyhow nothing was discovered their widowed mother alone in england wondering how it was that beyond the receipt of a brief wire acquainting her with their arrival at cairo she had heard nothing further of their wanderings placed herself in communication with the diplomatic people over there to learn that to all appearances her three children had vanished from off the face of the earth then a fuss was made with a vengeance so far as one can judge the whole town and neighbourhood was turned pretty well upside down but nothing came of it so far as any results were concerned the authorities might just as well have left the mystery of their vanishment alone it continued where it was in spite of them however some three months afterwards a youth was brought to the british embassy by a party of friendly arabs who asserted that they had found him naked and nearly dying in some remote spot in the weighty haifa desert it was the brother of the two lost girls he was as nearly dying as he was very well could be without being actually dead when they brought him to the embassy and in a state of indescribable mutilation he seemed to rally for a time under careful treatment but he never again uttered a coherent word it was only from his delirious ravings that any idea was formed of what really occurred shorthand notes were taken of some of the utterances of his delirium afterwards they were submitted to me i remembered the substance of them quite well and when mr lessingham began to tell me his own hideous experiences they came back to me more clearly still had i laid those notes before him i have little doubt but that he would have immediately perceived that seventeen years after the adventure which had left such an indelible scar upon his own life this youth he was little more than a boy had seen the things which he had seen and suffered the nameless agonies and degradations which he had suffered the young man was perpetually raving about some indescribable den of horror which was own brother to lessingham's temple and about some female monster whom he regarded with such fear and horror that every allusion made to her was followed by a convulsive paroxysm which taxed all the ingenuity of his medical attendants to bring him out of 
he frequently called upon his sisters by name speaking of them in a manner which inevitably suggested that he had been an unwilling and helpless witness of hideous tortures which they had undergone and then he would rise in bed screaming they're burning them they're burning them devils devils and at those times it required all the strength of those who were in attendance to restrain his maddened frenzy the youth died in one of these fits of great preternatural excitement without as i have previously written having given utterance to one single coherent word and by some of those who were best able to judge it was held to have been a mercy that he did die without having been restored to consciousness and presently tales began to be whispered about some idolatrous sect which was stated to have its headquarters somewhere in the interior of the country some located in this neighborhood and some in that which was stated to still practice and to always have practiced in unbroken historical continuity the debased unclean mystic and bloody rites of a form of idolatry which had had its birth in a period of the world's story which was so remote that to all intents and purposes it might be described as prehistoric while the ferment was still at its height a man came to the british embassy who said that he was a member of a tribe which had its habitat on the banks of the white nile he asserted that he was in association with this very idolatrous sect though he denied that he was one of the actual sectaries he did admit however that he had assisted more than once at their orgies and declared that it was their constant practice to offer young women as sacrifices preferably white christian women with a special preference if they could get them to young english women he vowed that he himself had seen with his own eyes english girls burnt alive the description which he gave of what preceded and followed these foul murders appalled those who listened he finally wound up offering on pavement of a stipulated sum of money to guide a troop of soldiers to this den of demons so that they should arrive there at the moment when it was filled with worshippers who were preparing to participate in an orgy which was to take place during the next few days his offer was conditionally accepted he was confined in an apartment with one man on guard inside and another on guard outside the room that night the sentinel without was startled by hearing a great noise and frightful screams issuing from the chamber in which the native was interned he summoned assistance the door was opened the soldier on guard within was stark staring mad he died within a few months a gibbering maniac to the end the native was dead the window which was a very small one was securely fastened inside and strongly barred without there was nothing to show by what means entry had been gained yet it was the general opinion of those who saw the corpse that the man had been destroyed by some wild beast a photograph was taken of the body after death a copy of which is still in my possession in it are distinctly shown lacerations about the neck and the lower portion of the abdomen as if they had been produced by the claws of some huge and ferocious animal the skull is splintered in half a dozen places and the face is torn to rags that was more than three years ago the whole business has remained as great a mystery as ever but my attention has once or twice been caught by trifling incidents which have caused me to more than suspect that the wild tale told by that murdered native had in it at least the elements of truth and which have even led me to wonder if the trade in kidnapping was not being carried on to this very hour and if women of my own flesh and blood were not still being offered up on that infernal altar and now here is paul lessingham a man of world-wide reputation of great intellect 
of undoubted honour who had come to me with a wholly unconscious verification of all my worst suspicions that the creature spoken of as an arab and who was probably no more an arab than i was and whose name was certainly not mohammed el kir was an emissary from that den of demons i had no doubt what was the exact purport of the creature's presence in england was another question possibly part of the intention was the destruction of paul lessingham body soul and spirit possibly another part was the procuration of fresh victims for that long-drawn-out holocaust that this latter object explained the disappearance of miss linden i felt persuaded that she was designed by the personification of evil who was her captor to suffer all the horrors at which the stories pointed and then to be burned alive amidst the triumphant yells of the attendant demons i was certain that the wretch aware that the pursuit was in full cry was tearing twisting doubling and would stick at nothing which would facilitate the smuggling of the victim out of england was clear my interest in the quest was already far other than a merely professional one the blood in my veins tingled at the thought of such a woman as miss london being in the power of such a monster i may assuredly claim that throughout the whole business i was urged forward by no thought of fee or of reward to have had a share in rescuing that unfortunate girl and in the destruction of her noxious persecutor would have been reward enough for me one is not always even in strictly professional matters influenced by strictly professional instincts the cab slowed a voice descended through the trap-door this is commercial road sir what part of it do you want drive me to limehouse police station we were driven there i made my way to the usual inspector behind the usual pigeonhole my name is champnow have you received any communication from scotland yard to-night having reference to a matter in which i am interested do you mean about the arab we received a telephonic message about a half an hour ago since communicating with scotland yard this has come to hand from the authorities at vauxhall station can you tell me if anything has been seen of the person in question by the men of your division i handed the inspector the report his reply was laconic i will inquire he passed through a door into an inner room and the report went with him beg pardon sir but was that a harab you was talkin about to the inspector the speaker was a gentleman unmistakably of the gutter-snipe class he was seated on a form close at hand hovered a policeman whose special duty it seemed to be to keep an eye upon his movements why do you ask i beg your pardon sir but i saw a harab myself about an hour ago leastways he looked like as if he was a harab what sort of looking person was he i can't hardly tell that sir because i didn't never have a proper look at him but i know he had a bloomin great bundle on his head it was like this year i was comin round the corner as he was passin i never see him till i was right atop of him so that i accidentally run agin my hey didn't it give me a downer i was down on my back of my ed in the middle of the road before i knew where i was and e was at the other end of the street if he hadn't knocked me more'n arf silly i'd been after him sharp i tell you and ask him what he thought he was a-doin but afore my senses was back again he was out of sight clean you were sure that he had a bundle on his head i noticed it most particular how long ago did you say this was and where about an hour ago perhaps more perhaps less 
Was he alone? It seemed to me as if a cove was a follower in him. Leastways, there was a bloke as was a keepin' close at his heels. Though I don't know what his little game was, I'm sure. Ask the pleasman. He knows, he knows everything the pleasman do. I turned to the pleasman. Who is this man? The pleasman put his hands behind his back and threw out his chest. His manner was distinctly affable. Well, he's being detained upon suspicion. He's given us an address at which to make inquiries, and inquiries are being made. I shouldn't pay too much attention to what he says if I were you. I don't suppose he'd be particular about a lie or two. This frank expression of opinion re-aroused the indignation of the gentleman on the form. There you are, at it again. That's just like you peelers. You're all the same. What do you know about me? Nothing. This gentleman ain't got no call to believe me, not as I knows on. It's all the same to me if you do or don't. But it's truth what I'm saying all the same. At this point the inspector reappeared at the pigeonhole. He cut short the flow of eloquence. Now then, not so much noise outside there. He addressed me. None of our men have seen anything of the person you're inquiring for, so far as we're aware. But if you like, I will place a man at your disposal, and he will go round with you. And you'll be able to make your own inquiries. A capless, wildly excited young ragamuffin came dashing in at the street door. He gasped out as clearly as he could for the speed which he had made. "'There's been a murder done, Mr. Pleasman. A harab's killed a bloke.' Mr. Pleasman gripped him by the shoulder. "'What's that?' The youngster put up his arm and ducked his head instinctively, as if to ward off a blow. "'Leave me alone. I don't want none of your handling. I ain't done nothing to you. I tell you he has.' The inspector spoke through the pigeonhole. "'He is what, my lad? What do you say has happened?' "'There's been murder done. It's right enough, there has. Up at Mrs. Anderson's in Paradise Place. A harrow's been and killed a bloke.' End of chapter 43